Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Right. <clears throat> How many of you have used ChatGPT? The sort of, all right, got one hand, two, two and a half, three, three hands. Right. Okay. So just for the benefit of people who have not used ChatGPT, it's, it's this revolutionary artificial intelligence chatbot. So that's, that's like you, it's, uh, it's like Google's in a, in a sort of quandary. They're really afraid about this because you give, you just type anything and it'll just give you an answer. Programmers uh, may become redundant in the future because it will just give you a code and everything, things like that. And I've sort of used it quite extensively in my workplace. I just, it's, it's, a, it's like a fun thing, like a Siri thing. You just type anything and it just gives you an answer for that. And in the process of that, what I did was I actually typed in this message. I said, Jesus and the wine branches. That's what I typed it. And coincidentally, it gave me some points which actually were similar to what Tom gave us as a pointers. Okay, so I was just sort of looking back and said, Tom sent us this, 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 these pointers, these, uh, this, this message. He gives us some points as to these other things that you can preach about. He gave us in December something like that, and then ChatGPT was released late November, but a stable version was released in Feb. So I thought maybe... Tom didn't look at the internet to give you that. But he actually used his theological skills and meditations to give us those pointers. And to be honest, uh, if the, the, the passage that we will be uh, looking at is, is a very, very simple passage. Very simple passage, and not many people will find it difficult to understand what exactly the passage has to say. If it is so simple, why am I here? Right? That's, it's like, I can read it from the Bible, but it's, it's okay. Sometimes repetition is good, revision is good. Uh, the Bible has multiple passages where it repeats itself. There's nothing wrong in repetition, revision. So it's, it's good to sort of repeat ourselves. Like, I'll be really surprised if Abigail listens to me once, if I tell her once. She has to be told multiple times for her to uh, you know, listen to me. So let's dive directly to the passage, what exactly we are looking at today. Uh, it's, it's a part of the Disciples series that we are moving ahead. It's the Gospel of uh, John, chapter 15, uh, verse 1 to 11. John 15, verses 1 to 11. Uh, I have a different version of the Bible, so you can follow there, so it won't be as similar as I'll be reading here. Uh, John 15, chapter 1, 2, verse 11. Jesus is the wine. That's the heading. It says, I am the true wine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he trims and cleans every branch that produces fruit, so it will produce even more fruit. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce the fruit alone, but must remain in the vine. In the same way, you cannot produce fruit alone, because, but you must remain in me. I am the wine, you are the branches. If you, anyone remain in me, I remain in them. They produce much fruit, but without me, they can do nothing. If any do not remain in me, they are like a branch that is thrown away and then dies. People pick up dead branches, throw them into fire and burn them. 
If you remain in me and follow my teaching, you can ask anything you want and it will be given to you. You should produce much fruit and show that you are my followers, which brings glory to my Father. I loved you as the Father loved me. Now remain in my love. I obeyed my Father's commandments. I am in remain in his love. In the same way, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have so that your joy will be at the fullest possible joy. Right? As I mentioned, it's a very, very simple passage. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have, have read it in your meditations about Jesus and, and the wine. The Gospel of John has these uh, sayings where Jesus is saying, I am so and so, right? There are many uh, where, like instances where Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in chapter 15, Jesus is saying that I am the wine, true wine. All of these sayings, except I am the true wine, Jesus is actually saying that he's actually a life giver. And he's actually inviting people to come to him and believe in him, except for this, I am the true wine. In When Jesus says, I am the true wine, he's actually addressing the disciples who already come to him and they know his message. And what Jesus is asking from them is to commit themselves, to come close to me, commit themselves for a long-term commitment and to be a fruitful Christians. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to say, is that you come to me, have a long-term commitment with me and then grow and become a fruitful Christian. I mean, one may think that Jesus used very, very pretty simple examples, right? Because uh, his disciples ranged from a fisherman to a tax collector. So he had to be as simple as possible, those explanations. And the, the wine itself is, is quite a, what do you call, a dist- has got a distinct place in the Jewish traditions. It's, it, it's a, it, everybody could relate with that example. Like in the Old Testament, Israel is pictured as the vineyard of God. And the wine was the national emblem of Israel, and it, it appeared in the coins of Maccabees. And there's a famous golden wine in the holy place in the temple. So wine, the tree wine, had a significance in the Jewish traditions. And in the book of Jeremiah, God tells the people of Israel that I planted you as a choice wine. Right. I, by the way, I'm giving you a context as to why exactly wine is sort of significance in Jewish traditions. And if you look at the book of Isaiah, God, there's a song about God's vineyard. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. And when you read that, three things really emerge from that. God is saying to the people of Israel that I have planted you. I have planted, like, I, you know, it's, you're like a vineyard to me. And I've done every possible thing to make sure that the vineyard produces fruit. But... Over the time, I found that you have not produced any fruit, and basically, and it it actually it actually got me a lot of anger because you're not producing any fruit, and you're causing me a lot of distress. And Ezekiel also sort of sells the same thing: is that the 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 wine branches has got no value, has got no value. The wine branches' value comes from the fruit it produces. The wood is too soft. You cannot make furniture out of it. You cannot make pegs to, to hang clothes on it. So he's saying that 
if, you, if the wine tree doesn't produce fruits, it's actually useless. And because God said that, Israel, you are my vineyard, they were thinking that God is being faithful to them, God is really good to them, and, they, and they're, they're thinking that God is singing their praises, but in effect, when you see these references, God is telling to them, I know you are my vineyard, but you are not producing the fruit that I want you to produce, right? Like, for example, I mean, I can, I can understand the, the mentality of the Middle Eastern people because it quite, quite coincides with the Indian mentality. It's, it's quite similar. Like, for example, uh, the classic example is that the Middle Eastern people and the Indian people, we cannot make a straight queue, right? We can never make it. There'll be one destination, there'll be 10 starting points, right? I mean, in, in, I, I, can, I can relate with them how they're thinking the thought process is all about. In an Indian context, right, if I am related to my father through blood, or to my parents, rather, I will inherit their property. No other go. If I'm related to my parents, I will inherit their property once they die, even if I have not taken care of them for a single day, I have not spoken to them, I have not even looked at them. Once they die, I will get the property. Simple. I don't know what's the law here. What's the law here? Sorry? Tax inheritance. Okay. Tax inheritance. Maybe we should have some lawyers here. I don't know what's the law here. If it's not a similar law as it is in India, then I have to write a will for my little girl. Whatever I have. I don't know. But in Indian context, it's completely different. I just have to prove through my DNA that I'm related to my parents and I'll get the inheritance. Simple. Right? So the reason what I'm trying to say is that the Jews had a similar feeling. That we are God's vineyard. We are, we are, we are linked to him. We are his blood. So we are favored people. We are favored. So when you feel that you are favored, there's a tendency that you neglect it. Right? When you think you're favored, you're a, you're, you're a favored generation, you're favored people, you, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of tendency to neglect it. You feel, you feel that, you know, whatever you do, whatever, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the result is coming to your favor. That's what happens. I'm, I mean, I feel really frustrated when, I, when I'm sitting in a, in, in a GP in, in a, in a, in a, in a, at the NHS, and there'll be people, even if you have a 30-minute de- delay or a one-hour delay, there'll be people screaming, shouting, swearing. And I was sitting there and thinking... Why are you guys shouting? I mean, if I was in a government hospital in India, I wouldn't even get an appointment straight away. And people here think that, by the way, not you, everybody, but who are swearing, <laughs> think that they're favored. They're favored people. I have to get the appointment on time. So when you feel that, there's, there's a tendency to neglect it. On the other side, in India, we don't even feel privileged about some things. We don't feel privileged about whatever you give, we'll take it. It's okay, whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's. But the Jewish were like, they feel that they're privileged and they should get everything what God has promised them. Like, I mean, uh, to, to the extent that when I first moved into this country and I was, uh, the first Sunday I was looking for a church and I was, I was walking along the streets and I, I was looking anything that remotely looks like a church. Anything that remotely looks like a church structure, I, I, I'm glad I didn't walk on Wilbram Road because the church, there's a pub there which looks like a church. 
right? And I was, I was looking for a church, and then there was, uh, and I was trying to read some instruction. There was this man who, who tapped on me, and said, he asked me the simple question. He said, are you all right? <laughs> simple question. And my thought process was, why is he interested in my well-being? Yeah. Why is he interested in my well-being? Can't he see that I'm living and I'm walking? It means that I'm okay. <laughs> I feel... I feel is that he's giving me a privilege to ask me, why are you doing okay? Are you doing all right? I feel, why, 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 why am I getting that privilege that he's asking me, are you all right? <laughs> right? I mean, the Jewish had that kind of tendency. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter whatever you do, whatever we do, whatever life we live. At the end of the day, we are God's vineyard. But... When Jesus came into the scene, that's what really upset the Jewish people. They were like, Jesus, Jesus said that I am the son of God. They're like, no, God cannot have a son. We are God's children. That's the problem. And Jesus said that, yes, the God, the father is the gardener. I am the, I am the wine. You should be the branches. And that upset a lot of people. And that's the reason why Jesus is saying to his disciples that you have to abide in me. That's the first point, is that you have to abide in me. Abide means you're dwelling or continuing or enduring, tarry, whatever you call it. Jesus, John is saying that we must make Jesus our dwelling place, make Jesus our home. And Jesus is telling that if you make me as your home, I will be in your home. It's like, make your home in me so that I can make your home in you. Like, imagine, like, if you, if you, if you go to a holiday and the last thing that you feel, you're tired. And after you finish your holiday, the last thing that you want to do is come back to your home. Because home is a place where you feel comfortable. Home is a place where you feel you can be yourself. Home is a place of security, safety. Home is a place you enjoy fellowship. You want to, that's the last thing that you want to do. You want to go back to your own home. And Jesus is saying that I want to make, uh, why don't you make me as your home? You have to dwell in me. I mean, a lot of, uh, the, the, there's, there's a tendency that what, the, what should I do that I should abide in Christ? What should I do to abide in Christ? Or Christ abiding in me. A lot of people think that uh, there is a set of rules, beliefs, disciplines. It is there, by the way. There's nothing wrong. Abiding is basically enjoying the presence of God. How do you enjoy the presence of God? That's, that's very, very important. I mean, the, the example I could give you, is, especially, especially when I compare the Indian context, is that in India, when I tell someone that I'm working as so-and-so, the first question they ask me is that, how much do you earn? That's the first question. I say, I, 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 I'm a data scientist. They ask me, how, do, how, how much do you earn? When I ask people here, I'm a data scientist, the people ask me, is, are you enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the comparison. In India, it doesn't matter whether you enjoy or not. If they're giving the money, that's fine. It doesn't matter to you. They're giving you the money, so basically you should enjoy it, right? But here, people are saying, are you enjoying that presence of being working there? That's a difference. That's the difference, right? Abiding is enjoying his presence. Jesus showed himself like, you know, he's, he, he himself showed, right? He, he was enjoying God's, his father's presence. He had his quiet time when every, even though he was a, he was sort of a superstar with preaching, but he took his quiet time to pray to God. It has to be in your lifestyle. 
I mean, I, I love that, uh, that, that, that instance where Jesus is, is crying with tears in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was about to be given to the, to the Roman Empire to be, to be nailed at the cross, and he was crying. And when I, when I read it the first time, he said, Jesus is actually praying to his father, why don't you take this cup of suffering away from me? And I thought it was actually a physical pain that he was talking about, but it's not the physical pain. Jesus actually telling to his father that when I will die, I will lose that connection with you, that temporary connection, and that's why I don't like it. That's the pain of suffering Jesus was actually talking about. You have to be abiding in his presence. And there's this beautiful uh, picture in, in the Old Testament where Samuel, when he, was, when he was born, Hannah gave Samuel to Eli, the, the prophet, and he said, why don't you make my son as a pastor? And there is this beautiful instance where Samuel is actually sleeping in the presence of the Lord. Samuel is sleeping where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the, in, the, in the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is where God dwelled. And Samuel was sleeping in the same room where the Ark of the Covenant was. And as they go along, because he was in the presence of the Lord, God was speaking to Samuel then Eli. Because Eli failed as a prophet. He was dwelling in the presence of the Lord. I mean, I, I, I remember this, this, this story where back home, uh, my dad's favorite pastime while he was alive was going to church. Not inside the church, by the way. Right? So he used to go to the church every day in the morning, come back in the evening. All, the, all he used to do was go there, play some, play some games, carrom boats or badminton and come back home. That's his, that's his pastime. Every day, go to church in the morning, come back in the evening. And there was this, this, this poor man who saw this ch- church structure and he was really depressed. And you know, he, had, he wanted some prayer. So he, he just came as a visitor and then he saw my dad and his other friends playing games in the church and uh, things like that. And he went and he asked, those, he asked the, the group there and he said, can you pray for me? And everybody looked at each other sheepishly. Like, who's going to pray? Who's going to pray? Who's going to pray? They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to pray. And they're like, oh, you know, we, we are here in the church, but we can't pray. Why did you go to the pastor? So the, the man's, the poor man's problem was he thought just because they were in the, in the church premises, they were dwelling in the presence of the Lord. But it is not. You can be in a physical structure like a church, but still you will not be in the presence of the Lord. There's a lot of difference between dwelling in the presence of the Lord and being in the church. As I said, there, is, there are ways like how you can make sure that Jesus abides in you. Having a prayer, like it's a, it's a very cliched thing, but it's as, as simple as it is. Prayer time is very, very important for God to dwell in you. Spending time with that person, right? Like we live in a world where the amount of time you give in a relationship determines whether the relationship is good enough or not. Right? It's true. It's basically, it's basically true. You, I mean, you, sh- you try and utilize every opportunity that we get to come to the presence of the Lord. That's a very, very simple thing to do. Like whenever I feel like I don't have the like, desire to pray or even go to the church, I feel lazy about it. I was like, I, just, it's, I can't be bothered, you know, the, those kind of scenarios. I reminded, I'm, I'm actually reminded by this word where it says that seek your kingdom first and everything will be added unto you. 
So if if lot of, there is there is a common what do you call complain about people not coming to you know church or meetings is that lack of time is that when I when I think about it, if you lack time to give it to God, then do the opposite. Just try do opposite and see how much time God will add into your life. Like if you if you if if you're struggling financially. God said that when I seek his kingdom, try and worship God with your finances and see how much you will be added. Just try and do the opposite and see if, if it works. It, 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 God did promise, right? He said, when you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, everything will be added. Your time will be added. Your finances will be added. Your health will be taken care of. So it's very, very important to dwell in the presence of the Lord. The second thing that Jesus tries to extend this metaphor is basically saying that, that, I am, the, I am the wine, you're the branches, and the branches need pruning, trimming, cutting. I mean, uh, it, the, the purpose of pruning is basically to obtain a maximum yield, high-quality grapes. And if you don't prune your veins or if you don't trim it, it becomes messy, it becomes tangled, and your fruit ripeness will suffer. That's basically from a horticulture point of view. Right, I mean, making sure that when you prune, what happens is that the, the, the branches which are pruned are of no use. It's basically of no use. They're too soft to be used for anything else. They just have to be burned in fire. And that's why Jesus is saying that you have to make sure that you allow God to prune that. So that, I mean... If you, if you look pruning in, 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 in real terms, pruning is basically, it's, it's basically the cost of discipleship. If you are a disciple of God, one of the costs that you have to bear is pruning. Like God will prune some of your friendships, relationships, disciplines. He will trim so that you are much more fruitful. I mean, he may use a difficult husband or wife to teach what his patience mean. Right? <laughs> He may use a financial crisis uh, to, to sort of move away from our material tendencies to depend on him. He may use an illness to prune us, to, to be more dependent on him. Like he used illness in Paul. That Paul had, a, had an issue, a physical issue, and he was praying, God, why don't you take this suffering from me? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's fine. I'm, 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 aware, of it. I'm aware of it, but it's, it's okay. I'm pruning you. So I think pruning is, uh, it's, it's frustrating. A lot many times it's frustrating because you keep asking questions, God, why, why is this happening in your life? But God has a plan for that. And if you, if you believe in him, uh, his, 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 his purpose, like as Romans 8.28 says, God works for the good. God works for the good, for those who love and trust him. Like, if you, from a, if you imagine if you, if you go to a doctor and God says, uh, the doctor says that, uh, you know, a part of your, your body is infected and then it needs amputating. Your leg, your leg needs amputating or hand needs amputating rather than infecting your whole body. It says it's better you take it off. It's simpler like that. Because the infection should not spread to your entire body, so we'll just amputate your hand or leg or whatever it is. That's pruning. Trust God in, 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 in pruning when he's operating in our lives, when he's making sure that you know, he's, he's doing something good about our life. And the final thing God is saying that if you, if you abide in me, if you, if you allow me to prune your life, there will be a fruit. You will bear fruit. 
What is exactly a fruit? Fruit is a changed life, a Christ-centered life, a life where we died to ourselves so that Christ lives through us, a life that seeks to satisfy God rather than self or people, a life whose central theme, focus, and priority is God. What, what exactly is the fruit that God is talking about? We all know this fruits of spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. God wants us to make sure that we produce these fruits on the earth. There's a, there's a common misconception in Christian faith that the, the result of a Christian faith is heaven. It is, but it is not completely the result. The result of a Christian faith is producing fruits on the earth. Right? A lot of people say, why do, you want, why, do you want, why do I want to follow Christianity? Because I want to go to heaven. Yes, that's great. But that's not the end result. The end result is God wants us to produce the fruit while we are there on the earth. The Gospel of Luke talks about a parable where a man had a fig tree and the fig tree was not producing fruits for three years and the, guy, and, and the, and the owner comes up and says, why are, you, why are you wasting this land? Just chop it off. And the gardener is saying, uh, uh, sir, why don't you give me, give one more year, I'll try and put, I'll dig it up, I'll put more fertilizers, we'll wait for one more year, if it doesn't produce fruit, then we'll, we'll chop it off. We ought to produce fruit. We ought to produce the results while we are in Christ. What's the point in just being, being in Christ and not, not producing the fruit, the result that is required, right? We have to have a result. I'm reminded of this cricket match which has happened in 1939 between England and South Africa. The, ma- the match started on the 3rd of March, ended on the 14th of March, nine days of cricket. The match had to be stopped midway because the England team had to catch a boat, come back to England because the next boat was not again a one month after. So the match had to be stopped midway. There was no result. What did the England team said? Half an hour more, we would have won the match. <laughs> After playing nine days of cricket, they're saying half an hour more, we would have won the match. I mean, sometimes we have a lot of time to produce results. And at the end, like people are like, oh, I, I wish I had more time to produce the fruits that God wanted us to. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly might not be the answer that God is expecting us. We have to produce fruit while we are alive. I'll end this with this, with this, with this example where I was actually researching on this, this wine trees. I actually became a sort of horticulturalist when I actually was doing that. So I was told that there is a 250-year-old wine tree still growing in Hampton Court, London. I don't know how many people have been there, right? So it was planted way back in 1768 by Lancet Brown. And it's about 255 years old, precisely. And it still produces about 500 to 700 bunches of grapes, right? And it said the largest recorded crop of the grapes was somewhere about 2,500 bunches of grapes in 1807. Life flows from that single root throughout the wine, bringing nourishment. Till date... It says that there have been 10 winekeepers who, who this, I mean, I was watching this, this, this uh, video where they were, they were, the winekeeper was talking. It's actually a full-time job, 
and the winekeeper had to be stationed within, very close to where this, this, uh, this tree is. And she was saying how meticulously she has to plan to make sure the temperature is ambient and to make sure, and she was so meticulously pruning those, those grapes to make sure that they have yield. And this, once, they, once, they, once they harvest these grapes, they sell them in, in, for, the, for the visitors there. And I was thinking, 250-year-old wine tree still giving us grapes. Ten winekeepers across 250 years. But Jesus is, is, is actually saying to, to us that in your life, the gardener will never change. The winekeeper will not change. He's still the God, the Father. He knows you in and out. And if you allow him to prune you, to, if you abide in him, if you prune him, if he, if he, if he allows you to prune him, then you'll continue to produce fruits as long as you live. I'm done with it. So three things God is trying to say with this, with this, with this parable is that abide in me, dwell in me. We, you know this classic example of Mary and Martha, right? Mary and Jesus went to their home and uh, Martha was busy preparing food and she was in the kitchen. She's making a lot of noise to make sure that Mary hears and asks for help. And finally, when Mary did not listen, she went to Jesus and complained about, she complained to Jesus, Jesus, why did you tell Mary to come and help me? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Jesus said, she chose the best place to be in my presence, to dwell in my presence. It's good to serve God through our singing, through our preaching, or through sitting, rather. But God is saying, Abide in me. That's, very, that's, that's the primary goal that God is abiding. When you abide in him, he's, you allow him to prune us. And when you allow him to prune us, we will produce the fruit.